Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. It's another week. <laughs> yes. We're getting by. Um, we have some exciting news, though. You do? Yeah. That text that I sent you, and you're like, oh my, bro- oh, my God, my brother sent me the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. And yeah. I've gotten, like, so many people sending me that exact same article, which is, like, exactly what I want. I want people to know me for yes. that specific <laughs> thing. Anyway, so... um. How are you? I've heard you had a little rat infestation. Yeah. So, you know, once I get the roach problem under control, then the rat problem happens. So that's fun. (laughs) Honestly, like the joys of living in the South, though. If I knew more about it, I don't know if I would have moved down here, but here I am. (laughs) We went through the same thing at our old house. And I remember when we first started the podcast, just telling you all about all the rats and how we named them and everything. Yeah. We don't have any here for now, knock on wood, but you know, so just find the holes in your house and try to, try to block it in any way you can. Yeah. So that's what we well, did. I got traps where I've seen them coming from and going to, so fingers yeah. crossed. But so the stupid thing is I see that rat that comes across the kitchen floor the other night and then like- <laughs> the bastard, it's so bold. Well- and then I set the traps in the cabinet where I thought it came from and the cabinet that I went into. And those traps have been set for like three or four days and nothing has happened. So I'm a little annoyed. I'm like, all right, did you guys, do you guys know that they're here now? Or like, <laughs> that's, they're smarter than a- you give them credit for, for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately. I hope that the traps work for you. Me too. I, I'm kind of curious if the one that I just put on the back porch already worked because Waylon was outside and then like he, speaking of him, stop it. Stop. Um, so he was outside and then he comes up and like comes back in the front door and he bolts right to where the back sliding glass door is mm-hmm. to the back porch. And he's like staring out at, at it. And I was like, oh God, I wonder if one just went in there. Fingers crossed. When they were in my car, I would check these traps like every morning underneath my hood. And like when I finally got the one that was getting into my car, it felt like I won the lottery. I was like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I was like, I finally got him. And then like I haven't really had a problem with my car. And I've seen them nesting in there like a couple weeks ago and I just vacuumed it out and I haven't seen any since. So I just Honestly, need to keep checking it to make sure that they're not 
getting in there. Yeah. Honestly, if you're thinking about moving down south, this is this is like normal. And it's not because we're dirty people. It's not anything. It's just the environment here just encroaches on your living space in such a like real way. Yeah. Well, and so like the key that I live on is, well, I, I take it back. There's rats in Key West too. I've seen them at my friend's house, but um, the key that I live on, it's more considered like a, uh, like a quote unquote country key. Yeah. Rural. Uh, rural. rural. Yeah. Rural. And, <laughs> and uh, it's like the whole key, it's pretty much a wildlife refuge. And, um, and so I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted because I hear Waylon scratching at the back glass door and I'm like, there's definitely fucking rat out there. (laughs) 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 Um, But anyway, so yeah, there's definitely animals on this key and there's two palm trees that are over our house and there are such a thing as palm rats and I Mm -hmm. believe that is what we have here. Um, So they're just around. They've been here before we even moved in, um, but like we just kind of have been maintaining them, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. Mm -hmm. And I think just kind of over the three years that I've been here, it's just gotten worse. So we've never had an exterminator come. We've, when we moved in here, there were those black rat boxes that were around. So I don't know how long they've been there. I just kind of figured they would put them there, but now knowing my landlord, they probably didn't put them there. Like (laughs) they've probably been sitting there for like seven years before we even moved in. So, right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to be setting traps around the house, but it's hard because of the dog. And it's like, I want to make sure like, it's not going to be any poison. Yeah. And like, I want to make sure like the traps are set where he can't get them because I'm putting peanut butter on the traps and obviously he's going to go get that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had to worry about that with Marzi too, but uh, it, it didn't work. So we ended up catching them all by hand. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you guys did that, but <sighs> Oh, it's a wild ride. Yeah. And uh, now we have like skunks and uh, an armadillo in our backyard. So we've got to keep an eye on that. A silly armadillo? <laughs> yeah. Problem is, they like to dig. So, and I'm trying to put oh. in my spring garden. We'll oh, see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so. Um, I got hit with a bad allergy attack, so I'm going to sound a little stuffy today, and I might blow my nose, but I will try to edit most of the nose blowing out. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I'm sorry if you hear Waylon in the background right now. He's not settling down whatsoever. Oh, now, now he just laid on his bed. Now he's on his bed. Okay. okay everybody so. quiet. Don't say anything. Don't, we're don't right. even look at him. <laughs> no, no one move. But I, I like sitting at the counter and doing this instead of in my bed. It's a lot easier. It is. And that's why I like rethought my setup from last time. I have to apologize because I was constantly like <laughs> fucking Touching. around with my microphone because like I could hear um, it in the uh, uh, the laptop in my microphone. It makes like this buzzing noise. And I was trying to figure out what that it was for the longest time turns out it's just because i have my mic next to my laptop so i've got my laptop with the zoom and then i got my mic and corey's tablet on my lap so that i can do all of this without having extra sounds happening 
and I'm in the bedroom because our Wi-Fi does not really get to upstairs very well. So that's why we have all those Wi-Fi problems, I think. So, yeah, that makes sense. you know, don't have a world-class setup myself. <laughs> it's surprise, all good. surprise. <laughs> we just do what we have to do, I guess. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, hey, at least we are two misogynistic white guys talking about how much they hate women. <laughs> So I have accidentally gone onto that side of TikTok and it is mind boggling. It's terrifying. I was scrolling through my TikTok and first of all, it, I only accidentally come across it because I follow this girl. Her name's Drew Outflow. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? I do. And um, she just rips these people to shreds. And so when I'm scrolling through, I first see like these, you know, males who are just ripping women apart and just being very very mean and then I'm like how the hell did my algorithm get me here and then she pops up to rip them apart I was like oh okay this is this is where it is this is every time every time I have to look down to see who posted it to see like how the hell I got onto this I was like what is happening here like I don't follow things like that yeah but it's terrifying how many of these like small dick dudes have access to microphones and Spotify and just sit there they're like women are absolute garbage and they should be a slave to their husband and I'm like this is this is why we still have a problem in this country with feminism because people still fucking think like this it's I want to say one of the ones that I heard was like if my wife like lets herself go after she's had kids then I'm gonna it was like leave her or it was something like that and it was like bro really like women's bodies change significantly after pregnancy <laughs> like she just birthed a child like like maybe marriage isn't for you then if you yeah maybe, that way. maybe like, women aren't for you like if you're gonna think that way <laughs> right anyway so we're not that kind of podcast so we have shit audio problems but at least we're not literally shitty sp- people <laughs> spewing garbage yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a mess um hot wet garbage is that what that is yes so let's uh let's talk about the exciting news of the week yes once we're not talking about awful uh natural disasters in the news (laughs) yeah do you have the article pulled up i do okay cool the big news of this week that i got sent by multiple people is that (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> you were the first actually you got to me first um, nice my mom was the one that sent it to me first oh my <laughs> that's cute she's like look at this it's like, oh, it's like you're like i know that guy so shackleton's ship that got crushed and sank under the ice the ship known as the endurance the wreck has been found in antarctica this week <laughs> Which is like so exciting because as y'all know, it's my very favorite survival story of all time. And if you haven't listened to that episode, um, I think it's episode three and four. It's like one of the very first stories that we did, but we reference this man all the time. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) He's kind of a benchmark for all other stories just because it was so wildly successful. Yeah. He was able to get all of his men 
off of an ice flow that was thousands of miles wide and they didn't have a ship because the ship got crushed in the ice and sank and this is the ship that they found so this happened um the ninth eighth or the ninth of march um so i'm going to read a little bit from the bbc article so this is what considered one of the greatest undiscovered shipwrecks that sank 107 years ago and it was found at the bottom of the Weddell Sea. The really amazing thing about this this uh, shipwreck is how deep it is. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that the Weddell Sea was that deep. I was picturing more like a shallow kind of sea, like we're more used to um, yeah. having. But so it's sitting in three kilometers or 10,000 feet of water. God. It's Which deep. explains why it was so hard to find. <laughs> to put that in perspective, most of the like deep sea area of the ocean is about 4,000 or yeah, 4,000 meters deep or four kilometers. So it's it's a deep wreck. Mm-hmm. Extremely Special deep. submarines and cameras have to be used because of the pressure. Yeah, yeah. So, but the cool thing is that you can along with that is that you can see the name of the ship was still intact right yeah that's super neat because it's a pretty like wrecked ship because the ice flows essentially crushed it before it sank but Mm -hmm. on the stern of the ship you can still see the name endurance which is like just so cool to see marine archaeologist minson bound who was on the expedition to discover it said without any exaggeration this is the finest wooden shipwreck i have ever seen by far it's upright well proud of the seabed intact and in a brilliant state of preservation and you should definitely go and check out the video footage of this wreck it's really cool it's also covered in like all of these really interesting like antarctic deep sea invertebrates mm-hmm. which is, is fun That's too but neat. they uh so the project to find the ship was started by the Falklands Maritime Heritage Trust, um, and they used a South African icebreaker, the Agulus II, um, and they equipped it with remotely operated submersibles. So nobody can dive down to this wreck. It's far too deep. Yes. You'd have to like get in a manned submersible, I think, to be able to actually see it yeah. yourself. Because not like they can send divers down there or anything. Definitely not, no. Um, so they did it mostly with like submersible drones, essentially. And the other reason why it was so difficult to reach there is that the Weddell Sea, as you know, is covered in a pretty thick layer of ice yes. most of the time. But because of climate change, <laughs> mm-hmm. they were able to see it because the ice has been retreating and is at a historic low essentially that's so interesting Mm -hmm. i feel like we're going to be finding more and more of this kind of stuff i mean they only found like um the erebus and the terror from the john franklin expedition a couple years ago the really uh, another really cool thing about this is that they uncovered the wreck site on the 100th anniversary of shackleton's funeral Wait, say that again? 
So they found the wreck on the 100th anniversary of Shackleton's funeral. Wow. I did not read that part. That's neat. (laughs) You can't plan that. (laughs) It's almost like the universe is trying to tell us something. I don't know what it is, but (laughs) not sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. It's almost like he was like, all right, guys, it's about time you find this. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we haven't found it till now because of the technology, you know? Yeah. But so they were able to see um, a lot of the stuff on deck, including things like pots and pans and boots and things that they left behind. Um, but obviously, there's no bodies there because all of them survived. Yeah. So it's just this really cool preserved shipwreck, very monumentous, monumental, sorry, that's not a word, <laughs> monumental um, finding of the shipwreck. It's a very important story, but it's unique in that it doesn't have the weird sort of sadness attached to it that a lot of other shipwrecks do. Yeah. Um, of the eeriness of finding a dead body preserved in cold water. No, right. You. Right. I would not want that. Yeah. So are they going to, like, retrieve stuff from there? Or are they just like, oh, cool, we found it. Uh, Time to go. Yeah, so I think um, they're going to probably mark it as, like, a historical site, most likely, um, to keep it um, preserved um, as, like, an Antarctic historic site. I don't – they might recover some objects, but I think on the whole they're going to leave it there because it's really hard – it would be really hard to bring anything to the surface. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, yeah, because you said you can't get divers down there. No. Yeah. But they have to have, there's got to be, like, some sort of, like, submersible that has arms that they can, like, robot. Right. Like, maneuver and grab things, but. Yeah. It's just a very, it would be a very um, long trip, and I feel like they'd have to pick small things, and I think, on the whole, they're probably going to leave it as is for the most part. Yeah. They did say, too, um, that it would appear that there is little wood deterioration, inferring that the wood-munching animals found in other areas of the ocean are, perhaps unsurprisingly, not in the um, Antarctic region because the water is so cold. So that's another reason why it's so preserved hmm. um, as well. Which is really cool. But uh yeah, anyway, so that's you know. the big news. Yeah. Um, love it. And if you wanna hear more about Shackleton's tr- Imperial Transantarctic expedition, go listen to three and four. Don't judge us too harshly. Yeah, we're still pretty <laughs> new at this. I still feel like we're pretty new at this, but we got a better handle on it now. So Yeah. <laughs> we have our shit a little bit more together, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it was so funny because you sent that article to me and then Ethan sent that article, my brother, and then a couple other friends sent it in and I'm like, this is what people know me for and I'm not mad at it. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's great. Um, so it's kind of funny because this is our one year anniversary episode. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to surprise you with it. Go us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for us. Good yeah, us. so it's very poignant that 
not only did they discover the ship on Shackleton's 100th birthday, but also it's our one year episode. Tell me why I just got chills. <laughs> Feeling some kind of feels. <laughs> that's pretty neat. Oh my God, yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So I'm actually going to do something a little different today for our main story. Um, oh yeah. So remember how when we started, I was like, we're going to do two episodes or two stories per podcast. And then we quickly decided that that was going to not work because we have too much shit to say <laughs> about yes. a single story that it would be like two hours long if we did it like that. Yeah. But I decided to do two stories today. Ooh. For the first time since our first episode. Um, mostly because uh, this first story, I thought it was longer than it was. Oh. Um, so I found another story related somewhat to it and so we have two stories today nice so we're gonna talk about lighthouses today i do like me a lighthouse yeah i feel like if you're an east coast kid like get it yeah one of our pastimes is like visiting lighthouses yeah it's like that audio (laughs) on tiktok the girls that get it get it the girls that don't don't (laughs) yeah I feel like that's so much more of like an East Coast because like people don't really do that a whole lot down in the Gulf Coast. No, no. I don't know because maybe it's because we grew up close to the Outer Banks. They have like a lot of lighthouses there. Yeah. Or like if you go up to like Massachusetts. Yeah. Like there's 50. You throw a rock and get a lighthouse in Massachusetts, you know. (laughs) Right. I still haven't been to the lighthouse that's in Key West, but... Um, when I was in Dry Tortugas, they had just redone the lighthouse that's attached to the fort. And then from the fort, you can see um, Loggerhead Key, and there's a lighthouse that's on there too. And that it just looks really pretty. I don't know. There's just something about lighthouses. It just reminds me of like going up and looking at lighthouses. Yeah. Yeah. And the one in Key West is right across from the Hemingway house. And my favorite fun fact that is an assumed fun fact because I cannot fact check this, just word of mouth. But apparently Hemingway built his house near the lighthouse so he knew how to get home when, from the bar when he was drunk. Smart. He would just go right to the lighthouse and then walk across the street. Like <laughs> That's actually legitimately hilariously smart. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> are right here because I'm going to need to find myself on the way home. It's like sober me taking care of drunk me. Yes. <laughs> yes. You need that in your sober, sober self. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that, I've been to so many lighthouses, and, um, they always have this, like, weird kind of eerie quality to them. Yeah, I'd say so. Though, like, I've only really been to the Currituck one. Maybe I've been to the one in Manio, but I was real young if I did. But. I've been to, um, Hatteras. I've been to a couple in Virginia. I think I've been a, a few more actually in um, the Outer Banks and I've been to a couple like on Cape Cod and it's just, I don't know if it's just because like it's, it's the towers in and of themselves are like a rescue kind of symbol. So mm-hmm. there is like that kind of death associated with them. Like if you can't see the lighthouse, you'll wreck on the rocks kind of thing. Right. But I feel like there's a lot of stories involving lighthouses that are spooky, like innately. 
Yeah, I think the other part of it that makes it spooky is that it's, it's like an isolated job, you know, like it's just yeah. you and your family often on this isolated island or part of the coast, mm -hmm. or maybe it's just you by yourself. And so I think that has something to do with it as well. So yeah, I thought today we could kind of talk about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories around them. So lighthouses have been present on the coasts of Great Britain as far back as people have been traveling by ship. One of the oldest being a Roman lighthouse that had been standing for around 2000 years in Dover, which is like, that's our country's like 400 years old and they yeah. have a lighthouse that's been there for 2000 years. Oh my God. Um, Lighthouse keeping is a notoriously dark and dangerous profession, mainly from the dangerous conditions of the sea and the extreme isolation of many coastal and island lighthouses. Not to mention lighthouses can be a beacon of hope in the dark, but when they aren't they lit, they spell certain death for many sailors. So this lighthouse or this, yeah, sorry, this episode is about two lighthouse keeping survival stories. One centered around tragedy and insanity, because Ooh. it's it's me. <laughs> yeah. And the other is about a badass lady lighthouse keeper and rescuer, which again, it's me. Because I was gonna say it's because it's you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna do the tragic one first, so we can get the bad stuff out of the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's like how I have to watch a Disney movie after I watch a scary movie. Yeah, I, to, like, I watch re recoup. <laughs> yeah, I watch Bob's Burgers after I watch anything particularly scary. Yeah, it's a good palate cleanser, that's for sure. Yeah, that's my go-to. So we're going to talk about the Smalls Lighthouse. Okay. Um, Can I look on... at these pictures yet? Yeah, go, oh. go for it. Is Hold it called up. the Smalls Lighthouse because it's small? uh or is that the family name i mean it is small i actually don't know why it's called the small i think just the area that it's in is the it small. looks real small <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like a single lighthouse that from the photo it looks like it's probably like 12 16 feet tall yeah it it's not super tall and let me kind of describe it for y'all so it's on a tiny cluster of rocks on the pembrokeshire Pembrokeshire coast, um, which is about 20 miles from mm. Wales, which is, if you're not familiar with the UK, it is um, part of um, the United Kingdom. Um, it's situated on a small grouping of rocks that barely breaks the sea surface in like good conditions, right? So mm. in 19, no, not 19, 1775. <laughs> Oh, it was first a large mix up. <laughs> Seventeen seventy five, um, when it was first built, it was a basically just a small hut, like wooden hut, perched mm -hmm. atop a platform, sitting on nine oak pillars. Jeez. It's it doesn't look stable. At it all. doesn't. I'm looking at the. Is that what that drawing is? It's like yes, a, yeah. So it's page funny. one and two. Yeah. Um, and definitely can, looks real rickety for how strong those seas around it look yeah <laughs> yeah it's like and i'll put it put them on instagram because it's wild how different like between that lighthouse that we're going to talk about and then the modern day one that they rebuilt so the hut on top of this like platform 
was the only place the lighthouse keeper could actually physically inhabit. Like that really? was it. Yeah, they couldn't like there was no other living space besides that little hut on top. Oh my god. Because it's just pillars. It is just pillars and the piece of rock that it's on is not very big either. So Right. So it's not like you'd be able to walk out there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, God, I would go insane. Well, huh, that's probably what happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get to it. Um, I definitely would go insane. <laughs> so it's isolating and claustrophobic at the same time because it's, it's if you go to page two, it's literally out in the middle of the ocean. God bless. It's, it's in the middle of the Irish Sea in between England and Ireland. It's literally just there to prevent people from running aground on that those rocks basically yeah yeah so the story is not necessarily about survival of the conditions of nature but more about the survival of the isolation that nature can create during bad weather and in this case it was isolation enough to drive someone mad so like i have a question real quick Mm -hmm. do they rotate who staffs that or is it just one guy the whole time yeah, they rotate it, and we'll we'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. Could you imagine if it was just one guy? <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. I was like, holy shit, if this is one guy there the whole time, like, I would hope that they rotated, like, throughout, I don't know, like, five or six people. Like, they stay there <laughs> for, like, a week, and then they just send another ship in and transfer them out, and then, like... Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I would hope that they do, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what they do, because... Oh, okay. Um. So, in 1801... Thomas Griffith and Thomas Howell were stationed at the lighthouse together and they apparently were not fans of each other and didn't get along super well, Mm -hmm. but they were stuck there together. That's the worst. Yeah. So tradition figure out how to get along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you have no choice or, and you're in, you know, a nine by nine hut, right? What are you going to do? (laughs) Um, Traditionally in British lighthouses, Two men would go to their posts together or were stationed at their posts. And lighthouses were manned and operated by private businesses who would send the men out for several week shifts at various lighthouses. Um, So that's exactly what they did, what you just said. Look at Um, me being smart. Who would have thought? I know. (laughs) Not me. Um, so Thomas and Thomas just happened to end up being stationed together. Um, they're both named Thomas. They're both named Thomas. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a very general name for back then in that area, I feel like. So yeah. Makes sense. Um, so it's Thomas Griffith and Thomas Howell. So lighthouse keepers working for these businesses never had a guarantee that they wouldn't be forgotten about or that they would ever be relieved of duty because if the business collapsed, no one would necessarily be going out there to inform them. Unless That's another... fucked up. So like if the business collapsed, they'd just be stuck out there. Yeah. Um, unless and or until another uh, lighthouse business took over or somebody decided, Hey, maybe we should go get those guys. Yeah. Like the morally correct thing to do. Yeah. Like... <laughs> God, why do you guys suck? Yeah, well, and it's like if you're on a lighthouse on the coast, you could just leave, right? Right. But if you're out here, like you literally are dependent on other people to come and get you. Yeah, like it's not even a swim. 
Like, no. It's 20 miles off the coast. Like, yeah. Good luck. So this is when tragedy struck several weeks into their shift. Uh, Griffith became suddenly very ill. Howell tried to get help by setting up a distress signal using the flags. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they were so far away, they could not flag down not, uh, any ships, basically. And due to the fact that there were heavy storms during this time, no one could get into them, even if they could see a distress signal. Oh, God. Um, so Howell was the only person who could do anything, basically. Um, but after weeks of suffering, Griffith died. And I couldn't really find out what he died from, but it was some kind of sickness, you know. Like yellow fever or something? Who knows? It was Is that seven- even that time? That probably isn't even that time. It was the 1800s. It was something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so Howell was concerned that he would be accused of murdering his colleague because most people knew that they didn't get along. Oh my god. How so insane was, is that? Right. So That's like the like, first thought you have too. Like you guys actually hated each other enough that like if he accidentally died, someone would think he murdered him. Yeah. Oh my god. So he's like concerned. Um, he knew if he threw the body into the sea, like did a burial at sea, it was likely that he would be incriminated as no autopsy could be done to free him of suspicion. Yeah, he's like in a lose-lose situation right now. Yeah. So he at first kept the body in the lighthouse. It says, okay, so time out. I'm, because I'm Googling this too. Wikipedia apparently says that he died in a freak accident. So. There's a lot of weird. So did he murder him? And he's just trying to play it off. Like, oh my God, he died from a sickness. And people don't, I don't want people thinking that I murdered him. A lot of the sources I looked at that weren't Wikipedia said he got sick. Oh, okay. Well, that's probably yeah. factual. And when the stories are farther, like, in the past, things get a little murkier. Oh, for sure. It's just word of mouth starts translating differently. Yeah. Like, telephone game over 200-something years. Yeah. So he at first kept the body in the lighthouse with him. But that's creepy. Especially consider how small that space is. And you're just staring at a dead guy all the time, and he's, like, deteriorating and stanking up the place. Like, ugh. (laughs) Stanking. (laughs) But that's the thing. So the stench became so bad, and the fact that he was in the very small hut with the body was starting to, like, really upset him. Yeah. So he was like, okay, what do I do? So Howell made a coffin using an outer bulkhead from the the hut and tied griffin griffith in his coffin to the only part of the lighthouse that could hold it um a small exterior balcony of the hut platform so if you look at those pictures you can see that there is like a small balcony kind of Mm -hmm. going around the outside of the hut yeah so he put the um body in the coffin out there so he didn't have to be in the hut with it so that's impressive i mean like what else are you supposed to do there's literally no tie it to the roof maybe i don't know who knows (laughs) so here's where it gets real creepy storms continue to pummel the island for weeks and weeks and weeks and no ships could come and even investigate 
Oh, no. So he's stuck out here. He's supposed to be done within, like, four months or something like that. They're supposed to come get him. Mm-hmm. But he's, where you know, putting out this distress signal, trying to get people's attention. Yeah, and it's, like, not working because there's so right. many storms. Yeah, so one night, the coffin blew apart and allowed mm-hmm. the dead man's arm to catch in the wind, <gasps> causing it to wave. Oh, visible to howl inside the lighthouse. This is spooky. This is spooky. Oh my god! (laughs) I've got this like creepy story light on my face because I'm reading from the uh, tablet. I can see. (laughs) Oh my god! It was a dark and stormy night. Literally. Yeah, literally. Um. (laughs) So basically, Griffith basically was waving to his alive companion as like, hey, let me out. (laughs) Yeah, as he continues to decay. Like, uh, no, thank you. Um, so storms continued to batter the island for four months. Four months. Mm. He was supposed to be picked up like four within a couple ago. of weeks. Right? <laughs> yeah. So while ships could see the distress signal, there was nothing that anyone could do for help. Oh, God, that sucks. And although many attempts were made, um Howell was forced to go into extreme rationing since the shift was only supposed to be for sorry not four months a month one month oh um four weeks and he's there for four months Um, yeah so no resupply ships could reach them but he did however have griffith's rations as well so he was able to you know make the food last him yeah Despite this, Howell continued to keep the lamp lit for sailors traveling these treacherous waters in the Irish Sea. Um, So he continued to do his job. Some of the braver crews got pretty close to landing during this time, but when they got close to the lighthouse, they could see a person standing on the deck waving at them. Because it's the dead guy. Because it's the dead guy. So they, they, Gross. but he didn't respond to their shouts. So they were confused. They were like, well, it seems like maybe seems like they're all right in there. So, right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh no. Like, it seems like maybe everything is okay, but they still got their distress flag out. So eventually a boat from Milford, Wales was able to reach the Smalls lighthouse where they found Griffith waving at them from beyond the grave and they found Howell broken, empty, and not the same person who had left the coast weeks before. It was said that he was driven mad from the extreme isolation of this entire experience. Yeah. His mental well-being and physical appearance had changed so much that his friends from home did not recognize him. Isn't there, I'm googling it right now, but isn't there a an experiment that was done about isolation back in like the what was it like the 60s there have been a few and they're all really fascinating and i want to talk about some of them at some point on the podcast yeah there was one um where this french guy isolated himself in a cave um he had like all of his amenities and stuff but he was in a cave with a dog and but he didn't take any clocks with him oh so he couldn't tell time and so did you do that on purpose yeah like that was part of the experiment to see like how our circadian rhythm works when we don't see the sun 
Oh God. Um, and so I think by the end of it, he was on like a 36 wake, like 15 hour sleep cycle. And he oh thought, my God. He thought it was like, he'd only been in there for four months and he'd really been in there for six. It's a oh weird my one. God. I want to talk about that one at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been some isolation exper- experiments and it really does weird things to people. Like, Oh, for sure. Their whole, yeah, everything changes. Gosh, I, mean, I keep it, getting like goosebumps talking about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we're social animals. And mm-hmm. I think, I think you can be isolated when you're in nature and dealing with that, like, like out in the mountains or something, mm-hmm. because you have like other outlets to see and feel and walk around and, and go somewhere new. But yeah. I think in like situations like this, where you literally cannot leave this tiny area, it just makes you want to blow your brains out. Yeah. Like we're not meant for that. Definitely not. I'm very grateful that I do not have to live in isolation. Yeah. I will say that right now. Well, and I think that's why the pandemic was so hard on so many people. Yeah. Um, especially people in um, like cities right? Because you're mm-hmm. stuck in your apartment, which is, you know, New York could be like a tiny little closet-sized studio, you know what and I mean? Yeah, and you can't go anywhere. I was really grateful that during the, like, the height of the pandemic, like, where everything was, like, quarantined. Like, remember the beginning when you're, like, buying, like, two weeks of groceries mm-hmm. at a time? Uh, like, I am very grateful that I was in a warm climate where, mm-hmm. like, I could still go outside to do things because yeah. I think the seasonal depression would have been a very real thing times 10 for me if I was somewhere that had all four seasons oh yeah well and and just being out in the country that you can have a yard to go out and enjoy yourself in mm-hmm. you know or like we could walk around um mask free a lot of places like outside just because there aren't that many people yeah um I would go on runs I'm like there's no one around here like yeah <laughs> so nice I mean we, we were living on the water so I would just sit out on my porch and that enough would be healing in some way yeah but I just make this story makes me think of like you know what people went through but they at least could Skype other human beings I know <laughs> this guy was screwed <laughs> yeah so since this incident, um, the lighthouse, uh, the small lighthouse was rebuilt to a more traditional style, which is the other lighthouse um, that is still there today, um, that has a stone tower um, to further prevent the claustrophobia that that tiny lighthouse living space had. So now it's like a full tower that you could travel up and down. Get um, your steps in. <laughs> right. Like at least go somewhere else. Um, so this story, um, and others like it served, uh, in part as inspiration for Robert Eggers' horror drama, The Lighthouse. Oh. It is not in any way an exact match, but the vibe, to it. the vibe of this story and the vibe of that story are very similar. So if you want to watch a really weird movie, go watch The Lighthouse. <laughs> 
maybe I'll save that for a daytime movie. It's it's a bizarre one for sure, but it's kind of a comedy too, which is interesting. Yeah. There's some humor in it for sure, but it is it's kind of a trippy movie. Just FYI. <laughs> Noted. I mean, Robert Pattinson's in it, which is hilarious to me. Is it before his Twilight days? No, it's after. Oh, this came out that's like a that's couple. interesting. Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. It's him and uh. Oh, what's that guy's name? He played the Green Goblin in uh, uh, Spider-Man. What's his I'm not, name? I'm not good with actors' names. I know. I've never been good with pop culture. I'm going to look it up right now. 2019 is when it came out. Oh, okay. Um, So pretty pretty recent. Yeah, relatively new. Uh, Yeah, okay. So it's Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are the okay. two characters. And it's, it's focused pretty much on their isolation in the lighthouse okay because of a similar situation so if you're into horror i recommend it it was entertaining so let's move on to our little lighter and brighter story yes please Um, i keep like checking over my shoulder because i feel like i like hear i'm hearing little things in the house i'm like home alone right now too and it's like is that a rat is that wayland is it a dead guy waving i'm spooked out right now (laughs) All right, well, we're going to talk about our girl, Ida Lewis, and the Lime Island or Lime Rock Lighthouse. So while some lighthouse stories give creepy and eerie vibes due to the extreme isolation and survival required to live and work in these remote stations, other lighthouses are not so isolated. Um, Many lighthouses are in well-populated harbors and guide ships um, into safe refuge from the larger and more dangerous seas. Because of the high population and traffic surrounding these harbors, however, lighthouse keepers must always be on the lookout for trouble and for those in need of rescue. Ida Lewis was one such keeper and she became famous for her many rescues in the icy waters of Newport Harbor in Rhode Island. So this one isn't so much about um, survival for her specifically, but more about like the people that she was able to rescue. And I mean, she survived rescuing them in these awful conditions as well. Um, So I thought that would be a cool story. Yeah. So Ida Lewis, um, her full name is Ida Wally Serrata Lewis. That's a mouthful. Go off. I don't know why, but it kind of sounds like a drag queen name to me. <laughs> Get it? I could see it. Please. Um, so she was born on February 25th in 1842 um, in Newport, Rhode Island to her lighthouse keeper father, Jose Lewis, who was appointed the Lime Rock Lighthouse's keeper in 1854 and her mother, Zoradia which I'm like, these names. (laughs) They got, it's like the millennial names of back then. Yeah. (laughs) Like, do we need a Jebediah? Like, come on. (laughs) Ezekiel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the original Lime Rock Light was a square granite tower. um, And you had to row 200 yards to reach the lighthouse from Newport, which it's not that far. It's not. <laughs> um, so you can see on um, slide four what the original lighthouse looked like. Mm-hmm. 
It is a big block. Mm-hmm. And it really is just kind of a house. Yeah. With a small, like, light tower next to it. So is the house, like, the lighthouse keeper's quarters, and then the tower is the actual lighthouse? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha, okay. Um, and you can see where it's located. Like, it, it is in the harbor. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're pretty close to, like, a fairly major city. So... Yeah, this, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing, right? It's, it's fine. Um, so it was built in 1853 in order to deal with the increase in maritime traffic in Newport Harbor, as it had become a summer getaway for tourists, but also still served as a cargo port. Um, so during winter storms, uh, it was difficult and often impossible to even get to the lighthouse. Um, oh, because you had to row out there. Yeah, in in a like small boat. Yeah. Um, there was a one room building on Lime Rock to serve as temporary shelter if the keeper could not row back to shore. Um, but they were smart. In 1857, a permanent dwelling was built on Lime Rock, and Ida, now 15. Um, and her family moved in the following year. So they lived there permanently. That's neat. Yeah. So that's that building that you see, which, I mean, it's pretty sizable. Yeah. It's like a solid. Like for her family. So on, on slide three, you can see a photo of Ida Lewis um, as a young adult. Mm-hmm. But her story really starts when she was 15 because... Hosea, her father, had a stroke in 1857 when they moved in. Oh, um, no. And his wife, Zora Dia, and Ida took over the operation of the light. So while his wife was technically appointed the keeper, um, her second daughter, Hattie, Ida's sister, was very sick and required Zora Dia's t- uh, care most of the time. So Ida basically, like, took on, like, the duties of the lighthouse keeper at 15. Jeez. So to tend the light, they would climb the tower, fill the lamp with oil at dusk and midnight every day, trim the wick, polish carbon off of the reflectors, which are like the big mirrors that they Mm -hmm. had in there, um, and put out the light at dawn. So she was up all night tending to this light. And then she would also row her younger siblings her brother, Hosea, and Rudolph to school every day in a, the little rowboat and then go pick up provisions in town. So she was like the main caretaker for the family, pretty much. Wow, so, 15 too? Yeah. Jeez. Um, it was said, though, that she was so good at rowing that she could row faster than any man in Newport, which go off. Yeah, like props <laughs> to her. I mean, considering she did it every day, I... Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. She was training this whole time. Right. She is on the rowing team. Um, so her first of many rescues occurred in 1858 when she was just 16. So this is one year after they moved in. Four boys and their sailboat had capsized within view of the lighthouse. And all the boys were from well-to-do families. Oh, no. Which, even if they're not, like, but the fact that they were from well-to-do families made this more famous because their relatives were, right. So, 
As one boy climbed the mast, it had caused the boat to capsize, throwing them all into the bay. Oh no. So at 16, she was only five foot four and only weighed just over a hundred pounds. But she managed to pull all four boys over the stern. Look at her go. She really knows how to use her leverage, huh? Right? (laughs) She's strong (laughs) as shit. (laughs) Yeah. So when someone questioned in the local paper if life-saving was an appropriate activity for women, Ida said, none but a donkey would consider it unfeminine to save lives. Which, like, <laughs> AKA you're an asshole. I think I wouldn't save someone's life. It's like, okay, so would you have rather me been like, oh, it's unfeminine and just let them die? Be like, mm, I'm too pretty for this. <laughs> like, no, that's the dumbest shit. And we're God. still dealing with it today. Why do people suck so much? I don't know. I don't know. So, Ida officially saw 18 people. No, sorry, not saw. Ida officially saved 18 people during her time at the lighthouse. Um, but unofficially, she saved 36 people. Wow. Yeah. How is that unofficially? Like, I think what makes maybe, it unofficial? I don't know. I think maybe the 18 or, like, the people who made it into the paper. Oh. And But she saved more than that. It's like when you catch a fish. It's like between landing the fish and hooking the fish it's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i caught it and then land it (laughs) or if you had a picture of it is it then it counts did it did it yeah is there even proof yeah um the closer you hold it to the camera the larger it is exactly hot tip (laughs) fix or it didn't happen (laughs) um so in 1869 um she saved two soldiers when their boat was swamped in a winter storm and this is the uh rescue that really made her famous um there was a young boy with them as well but he quickly drowned before anyone even saw him go under yeah ida's mother saw the two clinging to their boat at dawn on march 29th and woke up ida who jumped out of bed and ran to their rowboat barefoot in only a light dress, basically what she was sleeping in. Yeah, like her sleeping dress. And this was winter in God. Rhode Island, which oh, that's cold. It's in New England. <laughs> Golly. Like it's, New England is very much known for, you know, extreme winter storms. Yeah. Um, so it took her 15 minutes to launch the boat on her own but she reached the soldiers to which one of them said with surprise and fear it's only a girl oh my god uh the shock of seeing her caused him to lose his grip on their boat and sink underneath the water because karma is a bitch when you're sexist (laughs) but don't worry because ida grabbed him by the hair and pulled him in the boat Good God. Um, The second soldier was so cold he couldn't move, but Ida managed to pull him in as well. Ida was rewarded by the soldiers for saving them and was given a gold watch. And after learning about this, the citizens of Newport gave her a boat, like a lifeboat. um, And she became 
nationally famous after an article appeared in Harper's Weekly, which is a magazine that is still in print today. Um, oh, nice. And uh, so if you go to slide five, you can see the illustration of mm-hmm. that famous rescue. And then you can see her in the lifeboat that the uh, new, the town city, sorry, city of Newport gave her. And That's she's awesome. got a little dog, cute. And does that a little puppy dog. Little puppy dog. It's a sizable lifeboat, that's for sure. Right. And, and so I think that's why it took her so long to like launch that shit on her own. <laughs> yeah, like pushing it out and everything. Yeah. She probably had to like pull it from the bow and like push it. Well, and considering and like there were waves and stuff. Yeah. In the storm too. Like it's hard enough for me to launch my kayak in that time on my own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ida also received a gold life-saving medal um, of the United Life-Saving Service um, for saving two other men from drowning. Uh, These two men were walking across the frozen harbor from Newport to Fort Adams when the ice broke. Ida heard their cries and ran out of the lighthouse with a clothesline, throwing it out to them, and she pulled them out of the water, too. So she's been saving lives. Casual. Casually. She then became quietly engaged to a Connecticut yacht captain, William Hurd Wilson. They were married in 1870, but she was miserable without her lighthouse. Um, She moved, you know, obviously to live with him. Yeah. Um, And just after two years of marriage, moved back to Lime Rock Light. Um, but she never actually divorced William. They just lived separately. Mm-hmm. In 1878, Ida's mother died from cancer. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the 1800s. And yeah. Nobody lived very long. Uh, and although Ida continued to get paid for the work, she was not officially given the title of Lime Rock Lightkeeper until 1879. Oh, wow. Because technically her mother had held that title. Wow. Um so in 1889, uh, Ida saved her 72-year-old grandfather, Henry Lewis, after she saw him fall overboard after returning from a fishing trip on a small boat. All of these life-saving adventures gave her quite a bit of notoriety, and people from all over the world came to visit her at the lighthouse, including Andrew Carnegie, who was one of the world's richest men at the time. Yeah. Um, and gave Ida a private pension of $30 a month for life, which doesn't sound like a lot, but back then, I'm sure. a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what the conversion rate is, but I'm assuming it was a decent amount. <laughs> it's definitely a decent amount. I don't know what it is either, but I can only assume. There's, there's like calculators online. There are. Should I just do it right now? Should I Google? If you want to go for it. Would you say it was $30 a day for life? Yeah. $30 in 1889. $30 in 1889. Okay, I'm just trying to find something quick. Today, $30 from 1889 has a relative income worth of $5,197.48. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's like a full-ass salary. <laughs> yeah, it says like $1 in 1889 is worth $30.56 today. There you go. So, yeah, it was a decent, that's a decent amount. <laughs> On top of what she's already getting paid from the city. Yeah. So Ida continued to kick ass 
saving lives once again when she was 68. She's 68 now and she's still doing this. Um, so this is in 1909. On August 4th, four girls were rowing across the Newport Harbor when the Commonwealth, a 425 foot steamship, steamship swamped the girl's boat as it steamed past them. Ida launched her boat after hearing the girls screaming and pour, pulled all four of them out of the water. In 1910, the U.S. Lifesaving Service introduced the first motorboat. One of these new motorboats was named after Ida Lewis. Hmm. So in 1911, Ida's brother and assistant keeper, Rudolph, found Ida laying on the lighthouse's kitchen floor unconscious. Oh, no. When she was taken to the doctors, they discovered that she had a stroke and there was no hope for recovery. She died three days later at 70 years of age, which is pretty Pretty good good for back then. Right? Rudolph thought that the stroke was caused by a newspaper report saying that the Lime Rock Lighthouse was closing, which she had been very upset about. During the ceremony, the bells of all the other lighthouses in the Newport area tolled for her. One of the boys from her very first rescue in 1858, a man now named Samuel Powell, served as one of her pallbearers. Oh. So I was like her from her very first rescue of those four boys. Yeah. In 1928, the Ida Lewis Yacht Club purchased the lighthouse to return it to its original state while building the yacht club building around it. It's now called the Ida Lewis Light in her honor. That's nice. Um, And you can see that in the last slide, you can see the modern day lighthouse. It looks a lot bigger, like they Mm -hmm. put a porch on it. Yeah, it's, it's serving as a yacht club now, so, but they did restore like the main building. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. So in 1996, a keeper class of buoy tender of the Coast Guard fleet was named after Ida Lewis. And this ship is stationed across the Newport Harbor from the Ida Lewis Lighthouse. So even now, you know, in the decades we've been alive, they're still um, giving her honors. Um, Cool. Ida Luce has received so many awards and honors in her lifetime and after her death, sharing her legacy as a lighthouse keeper, a maritime rescuer, and amazing lady lives on long into the future. Um, and that's the story of one of the most legendary lighthouse keepers of all time, Ida Luce. Wow. I like that one. That was a good one. Yeah. I thought we needed a, something a little... <laughs> a little happy. Yeah, I was originally just going to do the Smalls Lighthouse, and I was like, you know, the story's actually not that long. <laughs> yeah. No, I like I like a two-story episode sometimes. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think we're going to start doing this more, because I know there's some topics that we've talked about um, wanting to do, like, like a collection of smaller stories about, like the Appalachian Trail. Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The story's because wild. There's a lot of like little stories that are interesting that aren't necessarily the scope of some of these other stories we talk about. Yeah. Um, but I think are still like valid and interesting. Mm-hmm. And this was, these two were a couple of them. I, I love the creepiness of the smalls. I can't help myself. Gosh. Yeah. That one's 
very creepy and I have chills again thinking about the arm waving the arm waving <laughs> I, first I don't like it <laughs> on the podcast lore with Aaron Minky which is great if you love uh like folklore and horror and that kind of stuff it's really good um but I heard that story and I was like this is so fascinating <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> holy shit but yeah, I, I just thought, I don't know, it's fun. Well, something, something a little different. Yeah, but, definitely. But uh, let me do my sources. Citations. Citations. Um, so for the Smalls tragedy, we have the disturbing story of death and insanity at Wales' most remote lighthouse by Robert Harris um, from Wales Online. And the tragedy of the Smalls Lighthouse by Stephen Little um, from his blog. And then for Ida Lewis, we have uh, Lime Rock Lighthouse, aka Ida Lewis Lighthouse um, from Rhode Island Lighthouses. It's just a website all about the history of their lighthouses. Um, Ida Lewis, the bravest woman in America from the New England Historical Society. Um, and then Ida Lewis, the legendary lady lightkeeper of Lime Rock by Brian L. Wallen from smallstatebighistory.com. So, yay. Very nice. Good job. I did it. Um, so, yeah, I guess we don't need it as much this week. Maybe you do because you're a little creeped out, but happy things. I was going to ask if we're going to do happy things. I was like, I feel like we just talked about a happy thing. So I don't know if we're going to get to the happy thing, but I really have a good happy thing this time. So I was hoping we were going to do happy things. (laughs) So this weekend, I spent the whole weekend just cleaning up our back porch because it has been neglected over the past like year, year and a half. And since we live in hot, sunny, humid Florida, algae started to grow like on my outdoor rug because you know rain and like then just debris and stuff would fall onto the porch and it's one of those things where it's very out of sight out of mind so Mm -hmm. hence why it got neglected for a while um and then just the weather of florida just was gross algae shit and it just there was like a layer of just grime (laughs) on this rug and there was like a layer of grime on the cement because the back porch is really a sealed off uh old cistern Mm -hmm. and so it's just cement back there um and so there was like a layer of grime all that so I borrowed a pressure washer from work and I it's so satisfying pressure washing things And so, um, I just pressure washed the whole back deck and the rug and I took the chairs that we had moved out from there to downstairs way long ago, back when we were entertaining more back Mm -hmm. up here. And then I took care of all my plants and I put them back on the porch. And, uh, now I have my little back porch sitting, but then I can also put it to the side and make a little yoga meditation space. And that's the space where I would do a lot of yoga and like online workouts when we were in COVID. And then when we started having more people over like our bubble, we just, you know, we needed the chairs downstairs underneath the house and we moved them and then we just never put them back. And Mm -hmm. then hurricane season came and the plants came inside. And then I decided after hurricane season ended that I wanted to try them on the front porch to see like, 
you know, if I would take care of them better there, but I am excited that the porch is cleaned up and it's pretty again. And because I am going to try to start doing some morning yoga and meditation Mm -hmm. before work. So I'm excited that I have a clean, happy space to do that again. So that's nice. That's my happy thing. Yeah. That's a great thing. Yeah. Think, right. I'm yeah. so excited to talk about this. I'm really proud of myself for doing that in a weekend too. That is like actually really important. I, cause I kind of got my outdoor space. Cause after we had the little leakage happen, mm-hmm. I had to like reclean that entire space and dry it all out. Um, but we've had a couple of nice days, so I'm able to open all the windows in there and just enjoy it and let Marzi run in and out while I'm, like, working from home. And I, it's, like, it really does improve your mood. Yes, it does. It's crazy how much it improves your mood. Yes. Like, <laughs> so. I can just, like, get a cup of tea and sit back there and read a book now. Like, yeah. be outside. Like, I could work outside if I wanted to. Like, it's just yeah. nice. Yeah, it is. So I totally get that. Um, I guess mine is that I'm going to get a little bit of a break in not next weekend, but the weekend after. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to New Orleans. Oh, Nolens. Nolens. Beignets. Yeah, I've never been. Um, Ooh, are you guys going to hit Bourbon Street, get a grenade? We are going to be staying pretty close to Bourbon Street, actually, in the French Quarter. Nice. Um, which I'm also excited about because the hotel is like beautiful and historic and we're meeting a couple of Corey's friends from college there so it's just gonna be like a long weekend kind of thing but it's gonna be nice to just get have a, a break a, yeah it goes so somewhere. When, when I was there with my cousin we went into Marie Laveau's house of voodoo and it's like a yeah. voodoo museum yeah if you want to get check that out if you guys got some free time yeah, I'm definitely interested. I I booked for us um, because Corey's friends wanted to do it too, a swamp tour, like on an airboat. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> and then um, a ghost tour at night. Oh, gosh. I've always wanted to go on a ghost tour, but I need to be with someone that's like not going to mind me peeing my pants. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. <laughs> oh, you have to do the Key West one. I heard someday. it's good. And Ever the first Sunday of every month is local Sunday, so mm-hmm. I think there might be a way to hop on that for cheaper. But um, there are like so many creepy stories in Key West that are just insanely like wait, they what, are like the Robert hell? the Doll. Robert the Doll. <laughs> God, every time I drive, I have never been inside that museum to like look at him, but nor do I want to. But like <laughs> I have been to events on that museum's lawn, and I just feel like the creepiness mm-hmm. like and that museum is right in front of the airport so every time I drive to the airport I get like a little weirded out like <laughs> knowing that that thing that doll not the thing if I don't hear me don't curse me that doll is like in there oh my god it freaks me out so much you know he has a twitter account does he I heard there's like a netflix documentary on him too I'm sure there is but his twitter account is hilarious really yeah <laughs> I want the museum curators run it well yeah but it's so that's really so funny, funny. <laughs> oh my goodness robert the doll y'all um, yeah don't take his picture he'll ruin your life yeah don't you have He's to a- write an apology letter if you want it to be reversed yeah 
Yeah, he's very like Annabelle-esque, you know what I mean? Yeah, God, no, thank you. I do not. Have you like read the stories on them about like how mm-hmm. like even when the mom tried to like give it away or throw it out, it just ended right back up in the house somewhere? Yeah. Ugh. Oh yeah, you know Ugh, it's, it's I just got me. chills again. It's <sighs> me. Of course I know about Robert the Doll. Oh my god, no, I hate those stories. <laughs> I hate them so much. I'm definitely sleeping with the lights on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Go, go watch a Disney movie. <laughs> I am. I made some enchiladas for dinner, but I didn't get to eat them yet because they were still cooking when I was hopping on, but I like ate a salad before and I'm like, I've just been staring at them. Oh no, like, I'm so sorry. Whole... No, it's okay. But that's, I'm, I'm kind of partly glad that these are, I'm a little spooked out because I'm like, I get to eat my enchiladas and watch something to decompress real quick. So yeah, it'll be good. Well, um, so where can our listeners find us? You guys can find us on the good old socials on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, our handle is Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast. On Twitter, it is the acronym for Mother Nature Will Kill You. And then, so that would be M-N-W-K-Y Podcast. Uh, And then we have our website that is MotherNatureWillKillYouPodcast.com. You can find us on any listening platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, what have you. Um, and I think that's it. Did I forget anything? I don't think so. So in addition to all of that, if you want to submit your own survival story of your own, um, you can do that on our website. Um, we have like a submission page, um, that you can send us your story and it'll show up in our email. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Like you don't have to have survived isolation for four months with a dead body of your enemy. Um, You don't have to have saved 36 people while being a five foot four woman. But if you have, we want to hear about it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that can be anything like if you had an uncomfortable experience with nature or something that just made you feel Um, a little uneasy or something that you legitimately, you know, survived. So it can be any, anything really just as long as, as you uh, had a little run in with nature that made you uncomfy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, if you want to support the podcast, but don't have any money because we all live in a capitalist hellscape, you can. (laughs) Every time you say that, I'm like, Jesus, Jillian. <laughs> um, I am just feeling it more and more every day, to be honest. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can uh, submit a five-star review to any of our listening platforms because it will help push us up the algorithm and give us let us be known to more people, basically, um, that would be interested listening to this. Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there like in the true crime community that are interested in this kind of adjacent story. Definitely. Um, because it's still morbid as hell, usually. <laughs> it's just nature inspired. Yeah, it's just nature instead of people you're fighting against. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess um, with that, oh, one more thing. Since it is our one year anniversary those of you that have been listening um to us and either have been listening from the beginning or have just joined us thank you um for supporting us um i know it has been 
a struggle <laughs> some uh, weeks <laughs> and we don't know what we're doing half of the time um uh, but uh we but just we're really, having fun <laughs> we're having fun and we just really want to i want to share these stories because i find them really interesting so thank you for listening yeah thanks guys it's been a good time it's been a great time and we're gonna have more stories coming up so hold on to your butts I have a whole writing list. It's ridiculous. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so, yeah, everyone listening, you're saving my poor husband from having to listen. Um, Corey to thanks you as well. Yeah. <laughs> we both thank you, but Corey also thanks you. <laughs> um, so, all right, I guess we can wrap it up this week. Cool. Well, alrighty, friends, until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Goodbye.